Welcome to episode 35 of Killer Hangover. My name is Beth. And I'm Bettina. And this week, we have true crime and paranormal stories from... Ohio. Ohio. Mom did the paranormal, so she has the beverage. And you don't even need to tell me. I know what we're drinking just from looking at it. I know. You can... Yeah, you pretty much can tell. (laughs) So I made a Bloody Mary... Yay, my favorite cocktail. And again, I went online to see what is the drink of Ohio and everywhere I looked, it said a Bloody Mary. Which is really interesting to me. Ohio's known for its tomatoes. Really? Yeah. Drink. You learn something. <laughs> <laughs> We've learned a lot by drinking on this podcast. <laughs> I guess that's why the Bloody Mary. So Idaho potatoes, Ohio tomatoes. Potato, potato. Tomato, tomato. <laughs> Interesting. Cheers. Cheers. Well, I used what we both like, the Zing Zang. I love Zing Zang. That's the mixer and then ice, a shot glass of vodka, and the Zing Zang. Done. Done. And mom, you garnished mine with a lime. I did. I did squeeze lime in these. Uh we never use garnish. I mean, it's not really garnish. It's just it's not plopped it's, in there. But there's a squeezed <laughs> lime rind floating in her drink. Oh, mom, you garnished oh, it. Oh, so sweet. <laughs> All right. Well, I'm just going to jump right into the story because buckle your seatbelts. This is going to be probably one of our longer episodes <laughs> because there is no way of cutting this one down for you guys. This man has had me hooked since I heard about him last summer on a podcast called The Clearing. I highly suggest the podcast after you catch up on our podcast, of course. But The Clearing is about serial criminal Edward Wayne Edwards. Not so nice they named him twice. (laughs) Bad joke. Sorry. (laughs) I'm actually going to start his true crime story with his daughter, April Bellasio. She was 40 years old when my story begins. She's married, she has three kids, and lives a very quiet, loving life. But she was burdened every night with terrible insomnia. In the middle of the night, memories jumped to her mind of her childhood, and her father in particular. She's tormented with the idea that she is suppressing memories, bad memories. She knew her dad was a bad guy. Not only did she witness this like firsthand with physical abuse that she and her four brothers and sisters received or witnessing him shoplift or do petty crimes firsthand, oh my gosh. but he literally made a living kind of spreading this bad guy image. So he wrote a book about his past. So like when neighbors would move in next door to them, he would go and introduce himself with a copy of his book. Oh, get out. Yeah. But he's a criminal. And this book is about how he's become a better person, but that would reformed. Yeah. But like, welcome to the neighborhood. Here's my criminal book. (laughs) Like, here's my past. Read about it. What an arrogant SOB, though. Oh, we are just we are just diving in here. Now, April and her family would move constantly throughout her childhood. They would settle down somewhere. And within a year or sometimes months, Ed, her father, would load everything up and move out to the next place sometimes in the dead of night, sometimes even lighting the house on fire to find a way out for insurance money. 
Twice she remembers her father doing this. Oh my gosh. They all just sat and watched their house burn. Like I said, she knew he was a bad guy. He had told her all about how he had served time twice at two different maximum security prisons. He had been on the FBI's most wanted list. And this was all before she was even born. Jeez. After he was paroled from Leavenworth Prison in 1967, he proclaimed that he had reformed and he gave motivational speeches about this. And that was kind of like a side hustle for him. But he would give speeches to police academies, schools. I mean, anywhere he could really go and tell his story. And then, like I said, he wrote a book and the book is called Metamorphosis of a Criminal. The true story of Ed Edwards. He actually went on two television shows in the 70s to tell his story. What's my line and to tell the truth. But back to 40-year-old April in 2009. Memories are coming to her in the middle of the night. Memories of fires her dad started, her father's obsession with the Zodiac Killer, making her and her siblings watch documentaries about the killings or reading things to them about the killings of the Zodiac. Just his overall obsession with crime and portraying to his family that they had to move to get away from the bad guys because, well, he was the good guy. (laughs) She started writing these memories down and created a timeline of sorts. It was the best she could do to try to put her childhood in order. At night, her mind would wander. She'd sneak out of bed, trying not to wake her husband, go to the living room and sit on the couch, pull her laptop onto her lap and search the places of her timeline and see if they matched the timelines of crimes or even cold cases in particular. What? She just thought she would do this? She just had a feeling there was just more to what she had witnessed firsthand. Mm -hmm. Then one night while searching the area in Wisconsin that they had lived in when she was about 11, she saw it. A 30-year-old cold case, the Sweetheart Murders. A cold case in Sullivan, Wisconsin. The couple had attended a wedding reception at the Concord House, a dance hall, in August of 1980. April knew they lived there at that time. The murdered couple were last seen leaving the reception around 11 o'clock. Five days after they were reported missing, Kelly Drew's clothing was found scattered all over abandoned roads, Mm. about three miles from the Concord House. And here I found some differences in my resources. Some resources stated that a couple days later, they ended up finding Tim Hack, the male. Mm -hmm. And other resources said that it was actually a few months before they found the bodies. Oh, there's a difference there. It is. And in in the books I read, it did say a couple months. And they were just hidden in the woods. But regardless, the two had been viciously killed. Tim had been stabbed and Kelly had been tied up, raped and stabbed. Not only did the location and the year of the killings sting a familiarity with April, but she knew for a fact that her father, Edward Wayne Edwards, had worked as a handyman for the Concord House. Oh, geez. After consulting with her sister, who advised her to just let it go, she picked up the phone in the middle of the night and called the lead detective on the case. He treated it as another tip at first, Mm -hmm. writing it down. Mm -hmm, Yeah, sure. Thank you. But then he realized that this name was not a new name. It was listed within the 75 names he had of potential suspects. Within months, Edward Wayne, and keep in mind, this is a 30-year-old cold case. Wow. Edward Wayne Edwards was arrested and put into jail. But our story does not end there. (laughs) This is just the beginning. The beginning. Like I said, sit back. Who is Edward Wayne Edwards? 
I'm actually going to give you some background on the man from his book, Metamorphosis of a Criminal. So keep in mind, this is from him and what we can believe. He was born Charles Murray Edwards in 1933. He never knew his father. And his mother, Lillian, he described was a little woman with dark hair. She came from a very religious family and was greatly looked down upon when she gave birth to Edward. He was an illegitimate child. But she worked her booty off as a single parent cleaning houses. One day, probably reaching a low point in her life, she stole $100 from a woman who had hired her to clean her house. Ed claims this was the first and only time his mother ever committed a crime. Lillian was sent away to a woman's reformatory for 17 months. When she got out, she found herself not only getting looked down upon as a sinner with an illegitimate child, a single mother trying to work her booty off, now she's but now she's a criminal. It had been all too much, and when Ed was two years old, his mother tried to commit suicide. She, she shot herself, but she ended up living through that for a few days, and she ended up dying of sepsis. Ed, I mean Charles went to live with his mother's sister, Mary Ethel Edwards, and her husband, Fred. They were the ones who renamed him Edward Wayne Edwards. This, unfortunately, wasn't the greatest of situations for poor little Ed. Mary Ethel loved him very much and did the best she could, but she was diagnosed with multiple sclerosis, and Fred was a very abusive alcoholic. Yeah. When Ed was seven, they sent him away to Parmadale Orphanage in Parmont, Ohio. Quick little side note, Ed didn't know any of this. He grew up thinking that Mary Ethel was his real mother. Oh. He actually didn't find out until his 30s who Lillian was. So he was just told that Lillian, as he was growing up, that Lillian was his aunt. Okay. So he didn't come to realize until he was in his that 30s that that Lillian was. was his mother. And that kind of messed with him a little bit, I think. Uh, yeah. He was already a bad guy before that, but I'm just saying it was kind of messed with he, him. He like, has no identity. And another thing to note is that they didn't just like send him off to this orphanage being like, all right, see ya. His quote unquote mother, Mary Ethel, and his grandmother would come up to visit him occasionally. Oh. So it wasn't like they just got rid of him. Yeah. They just knew that they couldn't provide the best life for him where they lived. And they thought that that would be good for him. And it was a Catholic orphanage filled with sisters. So they thought that maybe they could correct a couple of his bad habits he had formed even at a young age. But it was there at the orphanage that little Ed formed his future in his head. He wrote in his book that when the head nun asked him what he wanted to be when he grew up, little Ed answered, quote, sister, I'm going to be a crook and I'm going to be a good one. (laughs) Ed was another bedwetter. Oh, yeah. And the nuns really tortured the boy for this. He withstood some terrible abuse from the nuns there and he ran away a lot. One time he ran all the way to his grandmother's house in Akron, Ohio. Wow. She took the boy back to the orphanage. And when she did, the nun told her, nope, we don't want him here. Mm. Basically telling her that he was just too much for them to handle. And there was nothing that could be done about him. Oh, my gosh. She begrudgingly took him home and put him in public school. Like the nun said, though, he was a bad kid. She would give him bus money to get to school and he would use it to buy candy. It was after World War II. Sounds like Pinocchio. Well, <laughs> Sorry. And we have to keep in mind, he's like seven. Oh my gosh, how can you give up on a seven-year-old? It was after World War II and cigarettes were rationed. He would steal cigarettes from his grandmother's purse and sell them on the street and buy candy. 
he loved candy. Oh my gosh. Like even in some of his last prison letters I read, he was asking for money for Christmas candy. Like he loved candy. <laughs> Any kind of candy? Any kind of candy. The sugar. Mm-hmm. He got into many fights at school and it wasn't until the sixth grade did he kind of see the light. He really liked his teacher. She was encouraging. He wanted to impress her. So he worked hard at his lessons and even joined some sports teams. He even became somewhat active in the church his grandma was a part of. Wow. Then, uh, I absolutely hate this for him, but a group of boys vandalized some church property and everyone blamed Ed. Oh. No one believed it wasn't him, even his grandmother. He was at a loss. And from there, at 13, everything started to go downhill. He worked at a bowling alley and says in his book that he gave all of his money to his grandma. But I don't know. He liked candy too much. (laughs) The quote unquote good, if you can call it that, ends there. He started pulling fire alarms in places because he loved watching the fire trucks come. He loved watching all the people like panic of like, what's going on? Is there really a fire? And he loved watching the panic in people. And then that proved not to be too exciting anymore. So he started actually lighting real fires. So there's more panic and more trucks would come and he just loved it. So once when he was, keep this in mind, he's 13. He had a little crush on his grandma's neighbor. She was in her 20s. She was a divorcee. She had a couple young kids and he just thought she was just stunning. Well, she started to have a boyfriend come over. Ed did not like this. Oh. So one night, he lit the man's truck on fire. (gasps) He never got caught for that. He's 13. 13. It was at 15 that Ed claims in his book that he started drinking heavily. And soon he was caught by a police officer doing so and was sent to a detention home in Philadelphia called Philadelphia Protectory, which is another Catholic institution where they would take in children and it was designed to help protect the children, give them food, schooling, guidance, and and would also teach them a trade. Oh, nice. Okay. So they can kind of be set out into the real world with some kind of guidance Mm -hmm. and learn he did there because here is where he learned how to hotwire cars, pick locks from the other kids and much, much more. Yes. He suffered and witnessed more abuse here. He actually wrote in his book that there was a ton of sexual abuse happening at this school. Oh. He ran away from there at 16, doing, and he started doing petty crimes on the streets. And at 17, he joined the Marines. He loved boot camp. He loved the military experience and really expressed his love of the Marines in his book. But after boot camp, right before they let him go home on a little leave, they informed him that because he was only 17, they would not be sending him into the Korean War. He was pissed and went AWOL, obviously being dishonorably discharged from the Marines. But this didn't stop him from going around town after town in his uniform. Oh. He made tassels and badges. Lying, he worked his way in the ranks. I mean, families were inviting him into their homes for dinner. Oh, my gosh. The man was a liar, and he just jumped from town to town, job to job, lying. Actually, real quick story to show where this man's mind was. At one point, he was hitchhiking with a girl. I think her name was Linda. And they were in Texas, and he suffered some really bad food poisoning. 
Mm-hmm. So because of his lies to her, she took him to a military hospital oh. and the military hospital kind of started to figure things out. So while he was there, he believed he was being taken in to be treated for the food poisoning. But the hospital had a funny feeling and actually admitted him into the hospital's psychiatric ward. <laughs> now, this is a quote from the doctor. Quote, the personality picture is one of a highly disturbed individual who needs psychiatric help. This will probably be impossible since it will take a very long-term treatment to make any change. It is a case of a boy who has multiple difficulties, most of which is too late to even correct. Oh, no. A positive directoral program may offer much for him, but we really can't hope for too much. That is so sad. Edward is neurotic and possibly psychotic, and his behavior is definitely psychopathic, unquote. Well, you nailed him there. Holy cow. Can't hope for too much. That's terribly sad. Very sad. The nuns gave up on him. His grandmother gave up on him. A doctor is even giving up on him. It's very sad. I mean, how messed up was he for a doctor to say? Exactly. There are so many things wrong with this kid that... We can't and, fix them all. And like back up even to the nun. Like I'm sure they dealt with a lot of. Yeah. It was an orphanage. And, there yeah. That would run away and everything else. And she said, no, he's not allowed here anymore. That is crazy. Think about how bad he probably was. <sighs> While there in the hospital, he heard that Linda had started sleeping with another man. He asked the hospital if he could go out for the day. He got out and he severely beat Linda. He threatened her and packed up and headed home to Akron. When they got back, she begged to leave because she missed her family in Florida. And in his book, he claims that he raped and beat her and then allowed her to go back to her family. Uh. But honestly, there's nothing else out there about Linda. So I'm super curious if he really did allow her to go home. Oh, did she run away or did he kill her? Yeah, that's the latter is kind of where I'm leaning, unfortunately. So back in Ohio, he starts with more petty crimes, stealing cars, being one of them. And at the age of 19, he's arrested for driving around dressed as a Marine in a stolen car. At the station, he's greeted by the FBI. He is charged with impersonating a Marine and driving the stolen car across state line. (laughs) He is sent to Chillicothe Reformatory in Ohio for two years where he meets, any ideas? Go real dark. Manson. Charles Manson. Oh. <laughs> 1950. Good job, by the way. <laughs> 1953, he's released. No intention to turn his life around. He wrote in his book that, quote, there would be no more stupid, impulsive ripoffs. I would plan every crime deliberately, patiently, cold-bloodedly, whether it were forgery, burglary, or romp. Oh, man. <laughs> couldn't say the next one armed robbery i was still defiant the world must be made to realize how smart i was this time i was going to make full effort to prove my worth unquote wasn't he really exceptionally smart though yes i don't know if he was ever tested but i read he was tested when he was a child i mean and he was like uh 135 when he was a child that is ridiculous So it goes on and on. It's a pattern. The man never disguises himself. He wants to be known. He wants to be famous. He gets arrested again in Akron and then even escapes. 
Again, never using a disguise. So even when he's escaped from prison and wanted, he still doesn't try to disguise himself. What? Yeah. Interestingly enough, this costume play, <laughs> let's just call it that, is something that he did often. I have an interesting story I'll get to in a second, but this guy was just a full-on liar from what he wore to how he acted to where he worked. I mean, everything. Eventually, in 1951, he is on the FBI's most wanted list. He's wanted for questioning regarding a murder of on a lover's lane in Portland, Oregon. For this, he was sent to Leavenworth, where we learned he was paroled and released as a new man in 1967. Now, fast forward to 2009 of his daughter, April. <laughs> She was unlike her father in the fact that she was a woman that knew right from wrong and turned her father over to police. I applaud her. I take a drink for her because that had to be a lot. Scared to death. Uh, did you find much about um, April's mother? I did. So she was just lied to their entire marriage. He told her that he was in the trucking business mm. and she's just a very quiet, timid woman. Mm -hmm. They interviewed a neighbor of theirs and an old babysitter of their the children uh, in the podcast, The Clearing, that I mentioned before. Mm -hmm. But they did mention that Kay, Ed Edwards' wife, April's mom, she's very quiet, very, uh, she, they would see her like out playing with the children and she'd be like having fun with her children. And then if anybody came near them, she would just like stop. Very quiet, timid. Scared. Very. But... Not so much that she ever, one never left him. She was there until the day he was arrested. Not, wow. Not necessarily supporting him by any means for what he did. But yeah, even then she was just very quiet. Knew nothing about all of his crimes, which we'll get into here in a little bit. But did yeah. he beat her? I'm sure he did. Jeez. Yes, I'm sure he did. So that podcast, The Clearing, the podcast is hosted by Josh Dean and he and April kind of walk through what April can remember of her childhood. And he like stands by as she pieces together her history with her father. Mm -hmm. Like it's crazy because they just drive around areas that she used to live until a memory strikes. Like I said, it's, it's a fantastic podcast. But in one episode, Josh and his producer follow April into a field in Ohio. She believes she remembers her dad taking her and her siblings to this field. She remembers there was a pond. And he had piled them all up in the car and hiked them through the woods, through this field of these high weeds. And next to it, there had to have been a pond. She even squats down in the episode of the podcast to get a visual of what she would have gotten when she was, when she little. was little. Yeah. She had been in the second grade, she said. Sure enough, they come across a pond and she expresses in her memory. He hiked them all out there one night. And she remembers police tape around the trees near the pond. Mm -hmm. She remembers a dirt pile. And this had been a crime scene. This was the crime scene of Billy Lavico and Judy Straub. So remember, April has her father in prison now for the sweetheart murders that happened in Wisconsin. Mm -hmm. So this is what Ed is in prison for. Ed wants to always call his own shots. Now, keep in mind, he is close to 300 pounds. Is and, he really that heavy? Yes. And he is a diabetic, loves that candy. And very poor health, has an oxygen tank. He's older, so he's in jail for these sweetheart murders in Wisconsin. And he still wants to call the shots. What does he want? He wants to be executed. Well, Wisconsin didn't have the death penalty. Oh. So, so to make sure that he gets the death penalty, 
He tells the police of the deaths of Billy Lavico and Judy Straub, that crime scene that April brought the podcasters right. to, mm-hmm. because Ohio will have the death penalty. Now, Ed and Billy were friends, pretty close friends. And Ed had been pretty suspicious that Billy was sexually abusing Ed's daughter, April, for a while. Oh. He'd been suspicious about it for a while. And once he truly knew that was net, that was exactly what was going on, he took it upon himself to protect his family. He said, quote, my mind functions a little different than most people, unquote. I hope his mind functions different than most people, because that would be terrible if most people functioned that way. Oh, <laughs> looking nope. at me i didn't know where you Sorry, were going with that i was like that, okay. no that's not good that his mind functions different though because he ends up no boiling up and killing them it's not good but it is good <laughs> <laughs> he knew that the couple would drive down to silver creek to make out he got a gun rode a bike out there and hid in the weeds waiting for the couple to show up billy got out to use the restroom and as he did he could sense someone or something was watching him he quickly turned and started running back to the car. Ed chased quickly behind him. A shotgun pointed at Billy. He ordered the couple to get out of the car. At first, Billy thought it was a joke because they know They're each friends. other. Right. Then thought that Ed wanted money and started bribing Ed with, you know, Judy just got her paycheck. She's got $500 cash. Here, here, here. Here's some money. Ed starts questioning Billy about his daughter. Billy admits it. And that's the end. Billy is shot. Judy starts running. And as she's running, Ed shoots her. In the interview with police, he expresses that this is the one thing he feels guilty about was killing, quote, that poor girl, unquote. Because she was just. He reiterates his intentions of killing Billy, quote, the girl didn't deserve it. She just happened to be there, unquote. That's a bold faced lie. He knew the couple was going out there together. True. True. He knew that they knew who he was. He didn't have a mask on. They knew who he was. Right. But his intention wasn't to kill her, but just kill him in front of her and then not get caught. He's not stupid. Lie. <laughs> Liar. So this interview, as well as so many other interviews, as well as the phone conversations, it's all in this podcast. I can't reiterate how cool this podcast was. It really dives deep. If you're interested, go check it out. I guess. It's crazy to even hear his voice basically telling this story, too. Mm, yeah because ed edwards recorded everything all the time any conversations he had on the phone even in person ed edwards himself recorded them what heck he even recorded himself just sitting in the waiting room waiting for april to be born the man recorded everything everything. i'm not exactly sure why but he did So after he confesses the details of Billy and Judy's murders to the police in Wisconsin, he is just waiting for his move to Ohio. And that's when Officer Brian Johnston walks in. Now, Brian Johnston and Ed go way back. The two had met in Pennsylvania. And at a time, Ed actually worked kind of with him as a narc of sorts. Okay. The two would meet up for coffee and talk criminals. See, this is where I think Ed was just... And for argument's sake, this is where I think Ed is just super into criminology in general, but he never had that proper schooling to follow through with that. Mm. But he's just super intrigued with criminology. Brian Johnson believed this as well and would tell Ed all the time that he would have been a great detective if we would have gone on the other side. (laughs) But the two go way back. Brian comes and chats with Ed in prison and basically says like, look, buddy, 
I know you, I know what you want, and unfortunately, those murders you just confessed to about Billy and Judy, yeah, thanks for that, but that's not going to get you executed. The murders happened during the one little block in time that Ohio won't honor the death penalty. (laughs) But there's a way I can get you executed. Tell me what happened to Danny Boy. Mm. So back in 1995, when all five of his children were grown up and out of the house, Ed had taken in a boy named Danny. Danny had been in and out of the system, and Ed and Kay took him in. They changed his name to Danny Boy Edwards. He was never officially adopted, but Ed took him in. Ed was a real supporter of the military. Three of his five children had joined the service. Oh, really? And he really pushed that Danny Boy do, too. In 1996, Danny Boy was shipped off to Oklahoma for basic training. But when he finished basic training, he went AWOL. Six months later, Danny Boy's body was found in a field buried behind a cemetery. Coincidentally, less than a mile from Ed's house. Ed made a quarter of a million dollars from Danny Boy's life insurance. Detective Brian Johnson always suspected Ed, but Ed, who was in his 60s at the time of the murder, was never found guilty. So... Brian says, give me the details and the facts of this case and Danny boy, and you get to die. (laughs) I mean, just think about how weird that is. But this is the conversation that ends up going on for months. Negotiations start. So Ed doesn't want to get screwed again. He had already just given over four murders. Right. And he just doesn't want to get screwed. He just wants the death penalty. Time passes. Johnston remains patient. And then Ed starts calling. Sometimes a couple times a day. Yes, he killed Danny Boy, he tells him. He tries to play that that buddy card with Johnston, telling him, quote, Okay, now drive me back to Ohio. Get me a bucket of Colonel Sanders fried chicken, and I'll sit quietly in the back seat and eat my chicken. Unquote. The man loved food. They even discuss how Ed wants his last meal early because his execution, which he wanted a Maine lobster dinner, a 16-ounce prime rib, a loaded baked potato, Diet A&W root beer because of his diabetes. <laughs> All served to him by Johnston. But time passes. Ed starts getting anxious to get to Ohio and they don't start making any moves. Johnston tells him, you know, I need more than just the fact that you killed Danny Boy. I need evidence. I need actual evidence. It takes some time. But after Ed gets over his initial anger with the situation, he gives his motive, the insurance money. Money from the life insurance policy he bought on Danny Boy and money he received from the army because he did he did graduate basic training. But Johnson claims that's still not enough. And the two go back and forth for some time. It's like this buddy banter. Like, okay, this is a this is a conversation that they had. Now keep in mind too that Johnston is playing that role of a buddy. Right. Because he wants answers. Mm-hmm. So, mom, we're gonna play a little skit here. I'm going to be Ed Edwards and you can be Brian Johnston. Okay. Okay. You know, I put the head in a feed bag. Oh, yeah? A feed bag? Yeah, a feed bag. Where's that? Oh, I don't know. With the head. Oh, yeah? Well, where's that? The head? Yeah. In the feed bag. Where's that? (laughs) This could go on and on. And it does. After a month of this kind of back and forth, they transfer Ed Edwards to Ohio A few weeks later, they have every detail about Danny Boy's death, which is just very terribly sad. It is believed that Ed actually convinced Danny Boy to go AWOL, got him out to the area behind the cemetery, apparently asked the boy to go into the duffel bag for a cigarette, and when the boy turned to do so, Ed shot and killed him. 
He wanted Danny's body to be discovered, but not too quickly. He buried him in a very shallow grave and would go back several times. One time he went and discovered that animals had gotten to the body. He took the skull and planted it in a farmer's field. Mm. Not like plant it like like a plant, but like planted it so the farmer would get caught. Oh. Framing the the farmer. Yeah, he was good at that. Quote, I'm responsible for it. It didn't work on my conscience. I spent the money. I was having a good time. You do it, forget it was done, and go about your business until next time. Jeez. In the end, Ed took pride that he, quote, helped Brian Johnston put the case together. But Johnston made it very clear that his daughter April was the real star of it all. During the trial for the murders in Ohio, he pleaded guilty. His attorney actually felt very weird about the case. I mean, he's a defense attorney. <laughs> he's, supposed, he's supposed to be fighting for the life and fight on the side of the client, but his client wanted to die. It sat really weird with him, and he actually double-checked that what he was doing wasn't didn't have any ethics violations. <laughs> Ed Edwards was sentenced to life for the deaths of Billy Lavico and Judy Straub and received the death penalty for the killing of Danny Boy. His execution was set for August 30th, 2011. But on April 7th, Edward Wayne Edwards died of natural causes. No one came to claim his body. His daughter April believes that it was a real blessing that her father wasn't executed. She feels that he would have made it a big he a made a, would have made a big circus act out of Did all of it. Did he get that dinner? I don't I don't think so. Remember, he, he died of natural causes. Yeah, I so. know. But he said he wanted it early. Yeah, I don't think he did. Good. I hope he didn't. So talking about circus act, <laughs> another person I want to introduce you to is a man named John Cameron. A lot of this research came from his book I read called It's Me, Ed Edwards. Now, John Cameron is a retired cold case detective out of Montana. He worked in law enforcement for 30 years, and his whole career unraveled with the obsession with Ed Edwards. Using his skill as a cold case detective, one that had been pretty well admired in his area, he found way too many coincidences between Ed Edwards and many cold cases in the United States. But this isn't what's so crazy. What's crazy is whose cold cases these were. John Cameron believes that he can link Ed Edwards to the deaths of people like Elizabeth Short, the Black Dahlia, the West Memphis Three, Lacey Peterson, the Atlanta Child Murders, John Benet Ramsey, Adam Walsh, that little boy mom talked about in the Otis Tool episode. What's even more amazing is that John Cameron believes and has lots of evidence to back up his theories that Ed Edwards was the Zodiac, Zodiac Killer. killer. There's even evidence of Ed Edwards even being seen in a courthouse during a trial you might have watched on a documentary on Netflix once. Uh. That's as far as I'm going to go with John Cameron because these theories are outrageous and the and evidence... they will suck you down into a huge rabbit hole where there are tunnels galore. So I told mom about this guy and I told her that it was super intriguing and there's all this evidence that's actually like way too coincidental and then I get a phone call from my mom the next day and she's like screw you I have three episodes I need to be doing research for and I am down this John Cameron rabbit hole <laughs> and I can't get out and I said okay we'll start writing things down because I think that would be a perfect episode for our patrons on Patreon so there you go tune in on Patreon guys it's five dollars a month and you're not going to want to miss this episode I mean, but this is like unbelievable. The evidence that's there. 
The coincidences are just crazy. They are. And I think between the two of us, because you've read the book, I mm -hmm. haven't, and I've just done the research. So between the two of us, we'll... Some of them are absurd where you roll your eyes, but others you're just like, wait, what? That makes back so up, much sense. Back up just a minute. <laughs> Let me see. Can yeah. you repeat that? Yeah. So not only is the episode really good, but we do appreciate the extra support so we can drink more uh, Bloody Marys and cocktails with y'all. <laughs> so yeah, that is the serial criminal, Ed Edwards. This guy was just absolutely crazy. I, he literally was crazy. And that story I wanted to mention to you guys before I forget of the neighbors like there was a time the, the babysitter girl would walk by and only like the girls would be outside playing and she would ask the girls like where are your brothers and they're like oh they're inside they're they're in trouble and like oh they're they're in the house she's like oh no no they're in the garage and ed's standing there out with his kids and he's like oh you want to see them huh he brings the babysitter into the garage and the boys are hanging hanging by their collars on the wall in the garage with their feet don't touch Oh, my gosh. Punishment. Oh. And there's another story of this babysitter's mom. And she had lent. Or Ed Edwards came to their house and asked them, can I borrow your gun? And she said, heck huh? no. That's weird. We don't lend out our guns. Yeah. Well, then he went to her husband and said, can I borrow your gun? And he said, oh, yeah, sure. Hey, dude. Yeah. Have my gun. <laughs> so overnight, the family disappears. Ed Edwards and his family totally disappears. And the woman doing the interview was just like, honey. Your gun's gone. Like, told you, told you you shouldn't have lent it out to that guy. So a couple weeks later, there's a knock at the door and she looks out and it's a sheriff's car. Oh, no. And there's a police officer at her door. And so she lets the officer in and he starts asking questions. You know, do you know about the family? They just kind of got up in the middle of the night. And she's like, yeah, I don't really know much about them. You know, my daughter babysat them for them every once in a while, but I don't really know much about them. And the guy's like, you know, she says, well, he took my husband's gun and the guy's like, oh, okay, well, is there anything else you can add? You can tell me anything. Do you know where they headed? Do you know where he had job? Do you know, da 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 She's like, I have no idea. And the police officer's like, okay, thanks for your time. And he left. That night, she jolts herself awake and she realizes that police officer was Ed Edwards. Huh? She was like, holy cow, why didn't I put two and two together? He kept his sunglasses on the whole time and he had a fake mustache. And she remembered looking at the police officer being like, why are it? She was like, it was so blatantly fake. That I, when he was talking to me, I was like, why is this man in a fake mustache? Like, what? Why is this police officer in a fake mustache? But it was Ed Edwards. She was absolutely certain. Just making sure that they didn't know anything. Yeah. Oh, what if she would have given him information? I so scary. He might have killed everybody. I don't know. So beyond. And that babysitter girl, she told a story how one day he was like, guys, I'm going to show you something in the woods. So he marches like some neighborhood kids and all his kids out into the woods. And he's like, go look, go look for it. And so they're all like kind of spreading out and walking and looking for something in the woods. And he's like, they're like, what are we looking for? And he's like, keep looking, you'll know when you see it. And all of a sudden they all hear a gunshot and they turn and he is pointing a gun out in their direction and just wanted to see them scatter. He's sick. And then you listen to like, he made some album. He wrote this book, Metamorphosis of a Criminal. But then you listen to his album about how he's reformed. And he's like, hello, I'm Ed Edwards. And just sounds like such a preacher, nice guy. And then you just hear these stories and you're like, holy cow. One yeah. of the scariest people I think I've ever. Yeah, so well, blatantly bad. So blatantly bad. Yeah. And he knew it. So I not mean, even it like, like 
Bundy or Israel Keys or anybody like that who could switch back and forth between those personalities of being that guy who goes to work and then that serial killer at night. He was just blatantly bad. <laughs> so um, when he was on To Tell the Truth. Yeah. So there's three guys. Three guys and then like celebrity guests. That yeah. Have to guess and then who's the right they have guy. to guess who is Ed Edwards. Yes. And they all, you know, I'm Ed Edwards. I'm Ed Edwards. Well, he looked the least likely. He does. The the one guy he looked like, like a, a straight up mafia thug. He did. And what's interesting though too, what I caught on to, maybe because of hindsight I knew who he was, but as they're giving the description of everything. He's the, looking straight out. Yes. As they're giving the description of all the bad crimes, the two guys that are posing as him are looking at the host and like nodding and then looking at the, the guests. And he's just like staring blankly out into yep. the crowd or a wall or Never something. Never moves. Never moves. And it's just, it's almost like he's assessing to make sure that what the host is saying is, is correct. correct. He's just, and the fact that he recorded everything like you guys we're going to stop bantering now because we're going to save it for our patrons <laughs> because we are going to talk forever on that episode i have a feeling because there's just so much craziness especially when it comes to him possibly being the zodiac that it's is so creepy that is the one that i was drawn into yes there's some that i kind of didn't even look into because agreed it didn't. but but the zodiac oh yeah oh yeah but we'll talk about that on the patron <sighs> all right so, moving on to the paranormal. Yes, please. And I'm pretty excited about this. And you'll find out why. So, I'm doing Post Town Elementary School. Okay. Post Town Elementary School was built in 1937. In 1963, Daryl Wisman started school at this elementary school. He met his wife at the school. Hmm. And today, they still walk its halls. That's adorable. They're not ghosts. No, but that's adorable. Daryl and Brenda bought the school in 2004, five years after it had been abandoned. They bought it for $189,000 Oh, and made it their family home. That's really cute. That's where they met? <laughs> and then they bought it and turned it into their house? That's so cute. I've seen people turn like old churches into houses. Those can be, they're gorgeous. Yeah, but this is like 75 rooms and... But you could knock walls down. They haven't. Oh. At the time, Daryl says he didn't really even know what Haunted was. He just thought of the movies he'd seen of killer clowns, chainsaws, you know, that kind of Haunted. Yeah, the crap I don't watch. <laughs> talk about this all day, but I won't watch that stuff. Then one day, a friend of his who Daryl describes as big and tough, was doing construction work on the top floor. Daryl heard a shriek, and the friend came running into the room absolutely terrified. There's something up there, he said. Daryl suggested that ah, it's an animal, possum, raccoon, even a dog, you know, because there's places for these animals sure. to get into. Well, it's been abandoned for so long. But the friend said, dude, it was a ghost. <laughs> Shortly after this episode, and hearing strange noises themselves, Daryl and Brenda called in a local paranormal group. Cool. This led to many more paranormal investigations, all with their own findings and evidence. The 54-room schoolhouse has also been used by a group of survivalists practicing for the apocalypse. Hold on. What? Didn't they buy this to make it into a house? Yeah, my my Joanna Gaines visual just went out the window. <laughs> like I said, they kept the rooms. 
so he he gets some money from this. I mean, sure. it's ex- like renting it expensive to keep the maintenance on. I this. can so, only imagine. This sounds like a know, very large school. He's he's being very. I mean, I think he's really using a lot of great ideas to bring money in. So a group of survivalists practicing for the apocalypse, police and fire training, a nail salon, a massage therapist. Oh my god. And uh, a weightlifting club. Oh, my gosh. And a fallout shelter. This Um, is probably one of the most random things. Now, I also heard, and that wasn't what I read, but I heard, and you'll find out from whom, but he has also, when there's um, tornado sirens and stuff going Uh off, he has also opened his doors for all the townspeople to come into the school so they can be sheltered. I mean, he is just this... This person well, I talked about, to said he his heart is huge. He's such a good it guy. It has to be. I know that's all very random stuff, but how cool that such an eclectic that they can use this yeah, for that. that exactly, is, that's and it's really perfect neat. and make a good use of that building. What's unusual about all these people and groups coming into the building is that it seems they all have one thing in common. So it doesn't matter who they are; they all have one thing in common. They all experience things that they cannot explain. Cool. According to Daryl, there's a lot of unexplained activity in the school. In fact, he's come up with a motto. (laughs) When you leave, you believe. (laughs) It's great. (laughs) That's so cool. And and it really fits to this school. Man, this place must be super haunted. It is. Looking into the history of the school, you'll find that no one has actually died in the school. Yeah, no I, was gonna, child. I was wondering why the school would be haunted. No child, no one has died in the school. So why all the paranormal activity? Well, one theory involves two train crashes. Oh, no. That uh, crashed close to the land the school now sits on. The one on July 25th, 1891, and the other on July 4th, 1910. In the 1910 head-on collision of a passenger train and a freight train, 36 people were killed. Oh, how terrible. Some historians say that the land the school sits on was used as an emergency triage area for the train crash victims. Well, if it's close enough, that would make sense. The other theory, and this is the one Daryl believes to be true, is the one we've discussed before. Spirits have not crossed over, may return to the places they were happiest in life. Good memories. So elementary school is usually a happy, safe place for a lot of children. And perhaps these are the spirits that roam the halls along with the spirits of the teachers that once laughed with these kids. Wow. Even with all the activity, Daryl says he has never felt un- unsafe. Hmm. Uh, but he does admit walking a little faster, especially at night <laughs> when he's walking through the halls and hears noises. <laughs> he claims that visitors to the school have heard their names called out and some have even been touched by unseen hands. That just scares me. How does it know your name? Yeah. This is where to go if you want to have interactions with spirits. But not if you want a place where you'll bleed and get your hair pulled out, (laughs) said Daryl. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) Remember, he's associating haunted with chainsaws. and with all that crap. And clowns and stuff. And he's like, that ain't going to happen here. (laughs) That's great. Oh, I... I watched a few videos with him. He's hilarious. There's a lot of audio of responses and people have seen full body apparitions. Wow. Footsteps and shadow figures are most prevalent in the teacher's hallway. 
But Daryl comments that this was a place filled with children. So to get the best responses, you have to play games like kid games and speak to the spirits as if you're speaking to a child. Daryl has one story that is more frightening than the rest. He says that there is one door, the one to room 109 that sticks. It's so hard to open that sometimes the only way to do so is to kick it open. But there have been four times that the door has opened on its own. Oh. And something bad has happened to him each time. Oh, I just got goosebumps. Oh, yikes. One such instance happened at 414 one morning. He woke up on the floor with his head bleeding. There were four puncture marks. You can see them in in a picture. And he's supposed Wait, to... I thought he said that this is a place to go to if you didn't want blood. <laughs> I know, but this is the one instance that there are four puncture marks to his forehead. He and his wife searched the room for anything that would have made those weird marks, but found nothing. Even after this, he does not think that there's anything evil in the school. Weird. Daryl said in a video, I've, I always make a joke and say that to really make this place famous, I need a demon because everyone wants something bad. <laughs> but true. I don't want anything bad here. Oh, no. Especially if they're living there. No, thank you. He goes on to say, I feel so comfortable here. I don't really want to go anywhere else. I want to stay here forever. It's like I take care of the building and the building takes care of me. Ooh. Yeah. He's pretty hooked on that place. I had the same feeling. So do they make like an apartment for themselves there in the building? Yeah, they've turned something sure. around. Um, but There's he's still got so many hundreds of rooms that he's got a group of grandkids and they come over and they can run wild in the school and they've got this big gym to play basketball in. And yeah, there was a, a TikTok family that I followed that they bought an old school and they're renovating it and they like renovated the old gym and they have all their kids toys in there and then they are renovating it like a different apartments so they have like an apartment for their in-laws they have an apartment for them wow and it has everything from a kitchen to bedrooms and stuff so that's what i was picturing when you were telling me this but this sounds so much cooler because it's so eclectic of different <laughs> it is you're eclectic like walking on your word. way to the spa but you're gonna well, i'm gonna go wait, lift some weights first <laughs> <laughs> it's it's kind of crazy i was fortunate enough and I'm so excited to share this with you. To speak to a member of the Paranormal Investigators of Northern Kentucky, or PINK, as they're so called. So stinking cool. So Lisa has visited Post Town at least five or six times. Jealous. With a group. And says that this is one of her favorite places to investigate. She said that the team has never left the school without paranormal evidence, especially audio picked up by the spirit box. According to Lisa, the most activity is in the principal's office, the auditorium, the cafeteria, and the hallway that I mentioned Where earlier. Where gather. She gave an example of one evening. The group had a medium with them who told them a man had walked out of a classroom and was walking down the hall. You could actually follow his progress down the hall by watching the motion detectors that were placed <gasps> 10 feet apart. That is so cool. They would light up, then go dark, all the way down the hallway into the principal's office. That is beyond cool. Isn't that crazy? Lisa also said that flashlights have been used to ask the spirit questions, and in most every room that this is done, there would be direct responses. Like, turn my flashlight on if you are a child, and it would turn on. If you are a boy, turn on the blue flashlight. 
if you're a girl, turn on the red flashlight and the blue would come on and so on. Wow. I mean, it was like, uh, what do they call that? Um, intelligent responses. Yeah. One story she told me goes like this. She and a friend of hers were investigating. It was in the very early morning hours. The school was pitch dark. Her friend all of a sudden shrieked and said that an animal had run across her foot. <gasps> then on the spirit box, they heard a ma male voice said, Russ will eat it. <laughs> and Lisa sent me the audio. Yeah. And you can hear a man's voice saying, Russ will eat it. Oh my God, my toes are curled. Just the fact that something <laughs> ran across her foot. I don't do that. No. Lisa said that most spirit voices can be heard only when reviewing the recordings. But there have been times that she has heard children's voices and laughing. Hmm. I spent about 45 minutes, if not longer, speaking to Lisa on the phone. It was an absolutely delightful conversation. And I kept wanting to ask her questions so that she wouldn't <laughs> hang up. It was so, That's so interesting. Neat. So she told me a little bit about Pink. So if you don't mind, I'm going to share some stuff. Please, please, please. Um, they are a nonprofit organization that was started in 2005. And since that time, they have helped numerous clients in several U.S. states understand and come to terms with their paranormal experience, as well as finding peace and closure. There are around 17 members with seven to eight members per case. Wow. A couple of the members have a science background, such as Lisa's husband, John, whose background is electrical and mechanical aviation repair. What good to know when you're going into these, some of these situations, well, I'm sure. He's great at debunking activity yes, I mean. that he knows is caused by something other than the unknown. Sure. Uh, Lisa identified herself as a sensitive and a mild medium. Very neat. As a sensitive, she can feel a change in energy as she is more attuned to spirits, as you know, as right you are. with you. <laughs> she can smell things such as perfume or sulfur Ooh. that others may not even pick up on. Mm -hmm. She said that she has heard whispers from spirits and at times she has felt what caused the person's death. Wow. Like, for instance, if the person died of a heart attack, she didn't even, doesn't even know this. All of a sudden she'll feel a really sharp pain in her chest. Wow. So she's taught herself how to help a spirit cross over. If they ask if the human, well, I guess if the person that is contacting them as well as the spirit asks for help. Okay, that's really neat. And in this way has also helped families that have been scared or confused about activities in their home. Mm -hmm. So Pink, I didn't know any of this stuff and she really, like I said, was so interesting. Pink does not charge to investigate a home or business. Oh, they truly are just about figuring out what is going on at the location and helping the client. Well, it's just so interesting. So some of the things that she kind of telling me about is she said, do you notice that when you're doing your research and stuff that a lot of activity happens on staircases? And I'm like, yeah, I mean, that's. Remember the Stanley, the guy from Texas took a picture, didn't see anyone on the staircase, went back and then there's that film, blurry visual and there's there. a woman standing yes. on the staircase. Well, she thinks it's and this makes so much sense, but there's so much activity on a staircase and people are expending energy, more energy than that like walking so on a, much you know, sense. just walking straight. You're going up and down. So you're expending more energy on a staircase than mm -hmm. otherwise. And she said, it's like 
the energy stays there. That's crazy. I know. Just think about that. Is it, yeah. it is just absolutely Well, and that makes crazy. sense. That would be why. So she told me this story. A family had called and asked for help. They lived in a home that had like a mother-in-law quarters downstairs in the basement, you know, in the okay. lower level. Sure. So the family left the house to go to a movie or whatever, so they okay. wouldn't be around. And it was a father and his children. So okay. so the family left so that they could do the investigation. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So they're investigating and just walking around. The medium was like, I just sense a little girl drowning. A little girl, like two, three years. I mean, mm. like, you know, very little girl. Then they went upstairs and she couldn't. She kept seeing it, the little girl. And when the family came home, they sat the family down and said, I don't want to really bother you. I mean, hurt you, but I I just can't shake this feeling of a little girl drowning. And the father kind of teared up and he said, that was my daughter. She drowned in the bathtub. Oh, my gosh. And I believe it was Lisa who kept hearing, keep my family together. (gasps) keep my family together so she expressed that to the family and he said um this is so sad it just chokes me up every time I think about um he said my wife and I just split up uh we're getting a divorce Uh, the little girl wanted to keep the family together oh but I don't know what they did after that but the little girl did move on they helped her move on yeah so I did not explain that as well as Lisa obviously did. It was a great, I mean, it just choked me up. It's very sad. Oh, I asked her, so do you feel portals? You know, mm-hmm. we've heard stories about portals. And, and she said, yes, as a sensitive, I actually have felt if there's a portal nearby. Ooh. And she says that it feels like you're dragging your feet through sand it's so what an awesome explanation heavy it's absolutely so heavy and then she said when I feel that feeling I I can sense that there's a portal so she has talked about demonic spirits that have actually followed her home oh no 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 yeah like I said we talked for a long time and it was great so cool it was great she sent me like I said the audio Mm-hmm. And so we we are allowed to post that. Cool. Definitely and post she that. also so she sent me recordings from the SLS camera, the little stick figures. Yes, that we've those seen. are so cool. So she took those at Post Town. Oh, okay. That she sent me were from like the hallway of Post Town. And you, she saw. Oh, oh my gosh, so Beth, cool. they there's stick figures, and I think she sent me three or four in every one of those. Holy cow. They're like leaning against the wall. One's down crawling on the ground. Ooh, I don't like that. It's crazy. You just I have to like see it. I don't like the crawling. No. So back to Post Town, and I'm going to put a little plug in for them because if you're really wanting to experience the paranormal, this sounds like the place How to go. How far is this from us? Because this sounds so perfect. <laughs> it does. A place to bring our husbands because... The skeptics. <laughs> We're going to make them believe one day. Yes, they will leave and they will believe. Yes. Very I, cool. I, I truly believe that. Yeah. This place, I, I don't think you can miss. No, doesn't sound so, like it. You can go to their, to Post Town Elementary School. You can go to their website, posttownschool.com to see what events or even paranormal investigations are coming up. You can also visit that website to book your own investigations. Very neat. 
On their Facebook page, it says that all the Saturdays have been booked for the rest of the year. Oh, I'm sure. Which I am so happy to hear that. That's so great. But there are still some Fridays open. But there is a warning on the website in bold red letters because Daryl is very serious about not wanting anything evil invited into his home. The warning reads, Important. Please note before booking, we do not allow any type of conjuring items in our school. No Ouija boards, dolls with attachments, table tipping, seances, etc. If you come and show any disrespect, we will ask you to leave. No exceptions. Good for him. I think that's a lot of the problems with like the Villesca Axe Murder House, Lizzie Borden House, and all these places we've talked about. What do we see in all those homes whenever we... we Ouija boards. Ouija boards everywhere. When we go through the YouTube videos, when they get the tours and everything, you see a Ouija board in the corner and you're like, no wonder you're having dark entities here. That probably has nothing to do with the crime itself. Right. You're opening opening this up up. to everything. And the same thing with seances. You're you're just calling spirits down. It's nothing to mess with. So... The spirits are already there. You don't need to call anymore. Yeah. (laughs) You don't need to summon anyone. Because you don't know who you're summoning. I mean, you don't know what you're summoning, I should exactly. say. Oh, anyway. Well, I don't like the one crawling. That one's not. <laughs> You'll have to see it, though. It's so it's cool. It's probably a kid. So that is Post Town Elementary School. And I'm so, so thrilled I found this because. Thank you so much, Lisa. That is awesome. I love those little extra personal excerpts that you cannot get from reading the history or research online. Yeah. I mean, I didn't know how these paranormal groups worked or, you know, what exactly they even did because, well, you spoke to the one paranormal Mm -hmm. group. Yes. The Spirit World Paranormal Investigations Group out of Michigan. That's right. And you learned a lot just speaking through, you know, through them. (laughs) You learned a lot by speaking, you know. (laughs) I'm not that talented. (laughs) To them, but it was just so much fun. Lisa was great. Oh, I love the personal stories. I cannot wait to see these pictures and videos you have. I know. I will post them to the social media, you guys. I'm super anxious. Oh, well, next week is washington oh we are going back friends yeah actually it's california washington but so i don't know where you chose both are back (laughs) (laughs) both are back that's for sure uh so yes i'm super excited to share that one with you i'm excited too i have a fun paranormal story if you guys want to see those pictures you can find us on facebook and instagram killer hangover podcast if you are a paranormal group or if you have a true crime personal story you can email us at killerhangoverpodcast at gmail.com or on our social media sites. You can message us there as well. We've gotten some great suggestions from listeners as to different things to look into as far as true crime and the paranormal. Yes. And we appreciate those and we've actually started looking into them. So we have a good list going and don't think that we're ignoring you if we get your recommendation it's going on the list there's obviously just a lot of research that goes into each episode so it's on the list don't worry oh and thanks for the drink recipes that have been coming our way also love these because these are new ones to us that of course we want to try yes so thank you guys we really appreciate all your support we're also again we're on patreon if you want to catch that extra episode all the episodes are ad free and they come out every single saturday so you get them a couple days earlier they don't have any ads in them, and you get these extra Patreon episodes on top of that. 
on top of that, my goodness, all for $5 a month. Yes, less than a cup of expensive coffee. (laughs) (laughs) Which it's fall, so we know we're getting that pumpkin spice latte. Oh, yeah. Anyway, thank you guys for listening. This was a great episode, Mom. I believe so. (laughs) Cheers, Mama. Cheers. Love you, kid.